But when we read from the Bible uh, earlier, we read one of the great truths of Scripture. It was there for us in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7, and it says this, So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's a wonderful truth that God calls every single genuine Christian his child, his son. And it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're male or female, if you're trusting in Christ Jesus, then you're a child of God. And that has some incredible consequences for us. And this morning, what we're going to do together is to look at why this truth matters so much. Because perhaps for many of us, the fact that we're children of God is something that we've forgotten, or at least something that we rarely think about. And, and it's odd, really, I think, that we forget this truth. Because many of us remember often that God is our Father. Uh, Jesus, of course, taught us to pray, didn't he? Our Father, who art in heaven. We remember that God is our Father, but somehow we forget that we're his children. It doesn't make sense, but that's often uh, the case for us. When was the last time you reflected that you were a child of God and on all that means? So this morning I want to try and help put that right a little bit, uh, to help us to reflect on the truths that this passage points us to. And here's the first truth. If we're children of God, we're adopted into God's family. If we're children of God, we're adopted into God's family. Now, this is the foundational truth, and therefore we mustn't miss it. The point that I'm particularly wanting to make here by emphasizing adoption is that no one, except for Jesus, of course, is a child of God, a son of God by nature. In fact, the Bible tells us the opposite is true. By nature, the Bible says, we are children, not of God. By nature, the Bible says, we are children of wrath, of anger. So let me remind you what the passage we read earlier says about being adopted into God's family. I want to pick up at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, and I'm going to focus really on, on that verse down to verse 7. So let me read those verses again for you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see it? And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through Christ, there through God. So the only way, in other words, that you and I can be a child of God is through adoption. It's the only way. We are not sons of God by birth. None of us, in other words, are divine, are we? We're all human. We're all fallen. We're all affected by sin. We're all born under the law, as Paul puts it. And because of that, the only way to be sons is through adoption. Well, let me try and help us to understand that uh, just a little bit more. Uh, because uh, Paul here in verse 4 talked 
uh, sorry, in verse 5, talked about to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. And Paul seems to be contrasting sonship with being under the law. What does that mean? Well, actually, it's something that all of us can relate to, I think, relatively easily. How would you describe my relationship to the Queen? How would you describe my relationship to the Queen? Well, I'd love to say, be able to say that. Well, actually, the Queen's my mother. That would be great, wouldn't it? If I could say that this morning, uh, sorry, Mum, she's not listening, but, uh, but if I could say that, what a difference that would make. Now, of course, it isn't true. Uh, I, the Queen wasn't my literal mother. I haven't been adopted by the Queen. That didn't sneak past you at some point. It's never happened. And if I, that had have happened, then I'd be living in some palace or other, wouldn't I? I wouldn't be in clinic any longer. I'd be a lot wealthier than I am. But that's not my relationship to the Queen. My relationship to the Queen is not one of family. But I do have a relationship to the Queen, and so do you. What is that relationship to the Queen that you and I both have? Well, it's simply this. She's a sovereign, and we're her subjects. That's the relationship. I am subject, therefore, to the law of the land which the queen signs into, into law. And I'm obliged to keep her laws. And if I don't keep her laws, what happens to me? Uh, the uh, lovely euphemism, well, perhaps not quite so lovely, but the euphemism we use is we become detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. So the entire relationship between myself and the queen is one of rules and regulations. She makes them, and I have to obey them. That's how it works. Now, I don't know this morning whether you're a, a Republican or whether you love the Queen and all that the royal family and the monarchy represent. It doesn't matter. But whether you like her or not, your relationship to her is just the same as mine. You're her subject, and you're only related to her in the sense that you have to keep her rules. Now, what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 4, when he says that we were born under the law, is that our relationship with God is just like that relationship between us and the queen that I've just described. That's what the relationship was. That our relationship with God was one of subject, that's us, and sovereign, that's him. One of rule keepers, at least that's what we're supposed to do, for us, and one of a rule maker for him. Uh, the only difference, of course, being between the way that uh, God rules and the way that the queen rules is, A, that God does it perfectly, which even the queen, of course, uh, wouldn't, and the ardent monarchist wouldn't claim, and that God's rules cover the whole world for every generation, and not just for one country. But by nature, we cannot call God our father any more than we can call the queen our mother. Because by nature, our relationship to God is only in that sense that we are the subjects and he is the sovereign. That's our nature. That's what Paul means when he talks about us being as those who are born under the law. Now, thankfully, that's not all that Paul says. Because Paul goes on to say that God sent forth his son born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here's the beautiful thing. God didn't want to leave us as simply under the law. He didn't want to leave us relating to him only through obedience or otherwise to his commands. God wanted to change that relationship from one that was based purely on what was legal, a relationship about law, to one that was about family. He wanted us to be his sons. And that couldn't happen by nature because we're not divine, as we've said. It could only happen by adoption. And that's what God has done. So how did God do it? How did God bring about this adoption well, Galatians again tells us, we've read it already, verse 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. So in other words, this adoption happened by God the Father sending God the Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the, the wonder of the gospel message. And it's so important that we understand it. How is it possible for some fallen, sinful, mortal human beings to be adopted into God's family? How can that happen? Well, there's only one way, the Bible says. For that adoption to take place, then God's perfect divine Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to become like one of us. He had to step down into this fallen world. He had to take on mortal human flesh. He had to become a human being. He had to be born of a woman, born under the law, just as we all were. He had to become one of us. Do you understand? That little phrase, born of a woman, born under law, describes every single one of us. Jesus became one of us. And by becoming one of us, he was then able to redeem us. And he did that by fulfilling the law. You see, God had set this law that every human being needed to obey but was failing to obey. If you've been coming to this church for a long time, you'll, you'll, you'll have heard me dozens of times summarize what God requires of every human being. Uh, not in my words, but in Jesus's words. What are we called to do? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what God requires of you and of me. Now, have you done that? The honest answer is no. We're tempted to answer, perhaps, sometimes. Well, you can't really sometimes love God with all your heart. Because then it's not all your heart, is it? You can't sometimes love God with all your mind because it's, it's not all your mind then. So we can't really honestly answer sometimes. Another answer that perhaps we like to give is, well, I do my best. Well, that may or may not be true. I, if I'm honest, I can't honestly say that myself. I could perhaps say, sometimes I do my best. And I suspect that's probably true of you. But it's not always true of me. And actually, that's not what God requires anyway. 
God doesn't say, do your best to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't do that. He just says, love. Our best isn't good enough. That's part of the point. So you and I have failed to obey God's law. But do you remember what we said earlier? Our relationship with God is based on law because we're born under the law and he's the sovereign and we're the subject. Going back to that illustration of the queen earlier, if I kept the queen's laws as badly as I've kept God's laws, then I would be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. In other words, the relationship that I would have would, between myself and the Queen, if it was based on rules, and if I'd kept those rules as well as I'd kept God's rules, or as badly as I'd kept God's rules, then it would be a very broken relationship at all. And that's what the Bible teaches us is true. Our relationship with God is based on our ability to keep those rules. And as a consequence, our relationship is broken and damaged. But Jesus came to put that right. As a human being, Jesus lived the life that you and I failed to live. He kept the righteous requirements of the law. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He did, didn't he? You've read about it. You know he did. And we can see it in all the things that Jesus did. But we especially see Jesus' perfect obedience at the cross, where Jesus was willing to die the most horrendous death in loving obedience to his heavenly Father and in loving sacrifice for the worst of sinners. So you see, when Paul says simply God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus becoming one of us, fulfilling the law that God had given, triumphing over death, over the consequence of sin, proving once and for all that he truly was God's divine son. And then what happened? After Jesus Christ had come to this earth, lived the life that you and I could never live, died the death that we deserve, been raised from the dead by God his Father to triumph over sin and death, what happens next? Well, here's the most amazing bit. What happened next was that Jesus shares what he had accomplished with everyone who would be willing to receive what he offers. He shares his victory over sin and death. And he even shares his sonship. He redeemed us that we might receive adoption as sons. Because he shares his sonship with his people. So this then is the foundational truth. We are not and cannot be children of God by nature. Because we are by nature children of wrath. But we can become children of God by adoption. How can we be adopted? Well, not by going to a family court and getting a little certificate. No, the Christian is adopted by joining him or herself to God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We become adopted by receiving what Jesus has done for us 
and we receive what Jesus has done for us by aligning ourselves, joining ourselves with him. So there's an obvious question right here, isn't there? Are you an adopted child of God? You're not a natural child of God, nor am I. But are you an adopted child of God? Remember, that can only be true if something has happened to you. To take you from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. So has it happened to you? Because if you're unchanged, if you haven't had the experience of knowing that your sins have been forgiven, if you haven't been converted, then you're still a child of wrath, relating to God only through those rules and regulations, and frankly, not doing very well in keeping them. But if you are still a child of wrath, know that God is offering you right now the choice of adoption as his child. Will you put your trust in Christ? Will you follow him? Because if you will, and you show that by crying out in your heart to God for forgiveness in Christ, then the promise of the scripture is that you will receive adoption as sons. One final thing before we move on. Some of you may be concerned by the Bible's use of male languages in passages like this. Some of you might wish that this passage in Galatians had talked about adoption as sons and daughters rather than adoption as sons. So before we move on, let me just briefly explain why the Bible uses male language here and why that's a good thing. You probably know that this part of the Bible was written nearly 2,000 years ago, sometime in the 40s AD. Uh, and in that time, the rules of the Roman Empire, and uh, indeed in many other societies in the world, well, they were extremely patriarchal rules, weren't they? The men were in charge, in other words. Women didn't have full legal rights as citizens when this letter was written. And until just a few decades before Galatians was written, Women, by law, were always under the legal authority or control of their father or their husband. They had no legal autonomy of their own until just a couple of decades before Galatians was written. And even by the time Galatians was written, things were slightly better for women. But even then, women were only free if their husband died or they were divorced. While they were married, they weren't free and their husbands retained full legal rights over them. So that's the situation in which this letter to the Galatians was written, that kind of society. Now, in describing that kind of society, I'm not describing biblical teaching there as I say all this. I'm explaining the history, the reality of what it was like for men and women on the ground in these days. So what would have happened if Paul had written in his letter that believers in Christ are adopted as sons and daughters. What would have happened then? Well, what would have happened then is that every single person reading this letter would have thought that when you become a Christian, there are two tiers of Christianity, two tiers of being adopted. There would be adoption with full rights given to male Christians, and there would be adoption with very limited rights 
given to female Christians because that's how adoption worked in that society. But Paul doesn't say that believers in Christ are adopted as sons and daughters. He says they're adopted as sons. And part of the reason that Paul does that and speaks only of sons is to make sure that everybody understands who's reading this letter that there are not second-class citizens, i.e. daughters, in Christianity. There are only first-class Christians. And everybody is in that category. Indeed, if we just go back uh, a few verses uh, from chapter 4, uh, back into chapter 3, we read them earlier, chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul says adopted as sons, because he wants them to understand they're all one. That wasn't a gender-neutral expression he could have used in those days. It didn't exist. So he says, you're all sons. You've all got the same privileges. Whether you're a man or a woman, you've got the same spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Men and women share equally in what Christ has won. That's what Paul is saying. And that's one of the reasons why he doesn't say sons and daughters, and he does say sons. Now, of course, in the 21st century, saying adopted as sons can sound chauvinistic. I understand that. And you'll hear me say uh, sometimes adopted as children, just to, to make it clearer to 21st century ears. But in the first century, when the New Testament was written, to say that men and women were both adopted as sons was radically egalitarian. So if you're a lady here this morning, you can celebrate that God inspired Paul to write that you too are adopted as sons, knowing that by that God and Paul mean that you have an equal share in Christ, and that whatever society might think, in whatever age, God does not consider you to be a second-class citizen. So that's the first truth. It was foundational. I've taken a bit longer with it. If we're children of God, we're adopted into God's family. Now, here's the second truth. If we're children of God, we are free. If we're children of God, we're free. I, I think it's interesting that uh, 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 here in the Bible, God contrasts adoption with slavery. He doesn't uh, imagine perhaps uh, children living on their own, but he imagines the opposite of being adopted as being a slave. Now, slavery was, of course, very familiar in the ancient world. A huge portion, maybe up to a third of people in the Roman Empire, were slaves. Many early Christians themselves were slaves. We have letters in the Bible that mention slaves within the church, some of them by name. Now, first century slavery was not always as evil as the enslavement of black slaves in the Americas, nor even as always as evil as modern-day slavery. Sometimes it was, sometimes uh, less so. But slavery, of course, was always something to avoid, if you at all could. We've already talked about the, the lack of rights that women would enjoy in the first century, and of course the same is true for first century slaves. They have few rights and no privileges. 
that the slave has an obligation to obey. And that is what makes slavery the perfect contrast to adoption. You can see it in verse 6 of chapter 4. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. We were slaves, Paul says. That's, again, he's reminding us that natural relationship with God, mediated to through rules and regulations, do this, don't do that. Slaves to the law. But he's saying, it's so clear, isn't it, in verse 7, when he's speaking to these Galatians believers, you are no longer a slave. Now, what don't slaves have that sons have? Well, there's a few things, but the one I want to emphasize particularly at the moment is freedom. Sons, especially adult sons, can come and go in their father's house. Slaves can't do that. The same freedom is given to every Christian. It's really vital we get that. Christians are free. Freer than anyone else. Now, some people who are not Christians would think, frankly, that's nonsense. And would say that that's nonsense. I, I've had friends who, who are not Christians who think that because I'm a Christian, I'm held back. I'm constrained. They're almost sorry for the miserable life that I live, having to go to church on a Sunday. It's laughable, but... People have said that to me. They've probably said it to you. As if somehow it's something to be endured rather than to be enjoyed. Now, you might think, well, that's easy for me to say standing here. Harder, perhaps, for you to talk about enjoying rather than enduring sitting there. But nonetheless, it's a choice that we make, isn't it? And a choice that we're glad to make. Because... Christianity is not a set of rules that we have to follow. It's not that. It's never been that. Christianity is specifically about freedom from those rules. Here's the funny thing. Before I was a Christian, I did feel obliged to go to church. Before I was a Christian, I did endure church at times. Before I was a Christian. When I became a Christian, I stopped feeling obliged to go to church. When I became a Christian, I stopped enduring church. I stopped enduring reading the Bible. I stopped enduring praying. And I started to enjoy it. Why? Because I'd been set free. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that I did whatever took my fancy, and it doesn't mean that, that anybody who's a Christian does whatever takes their fancy. Imagine a Roman slave who then gets adopted. That's the picture that Paul is painting for us here. That sort of thing did used to happen, by the way, in the Roman Empire. Slaves did get adopted sometimes. Now, when it happened, the former slave gained enormous wealth and freedom. Their lives were totally transformed. So how do you think those former slaves lived? Imagine that you, you've been a slave and now you've been adopted as a son. The person who was your master is now your father. How do you behave? 
How do you use the new freedom that you've got? Well, I suspect that you don't use that freedom by, I don't know, vandalizing your father's property, destroying what he's built up. You don't use your freedom like that in that situation, do you? How do you use the freedom? Well, you're, you're thankful for everything that he's given you. You recognize that you can't say that you deserve any of it. And because of kindness and, and grace, what do you do? Well, you, you live a life of gratitude, of thankfulness. You show kindness and appreciation and even love to your new adopted father. Of course you do. And spiritually, that's the same for Christians. So when I was converted, in some ways, if you were looking from the outside, you wouldn't have seen much different. I was converted about the age of 15, so before that, my mum made me go to church. After that, I chose to go to church. That's the only difference you might have seen. But inside, the difference was remarkable. And so it is for all of us. For some, perhaps, depending on your background, the external may change much more than it did for me. But the internal change is the same for all of us. Because we do what we do in terms of our worship, our praying, our reading of the scriptures, our seeking to live a godly life. We do what we do out of gratitude and thankfulness and not out of any sense of obligation. Yes, we seek to live a moral life and do what's right. Yes, there are things that the world enjoys that we don't want to get involved in. But no, we're not oppressed. And no, we are not bound. And no, we are not burdened. On the contrary, we're free. Free to make the right choices. Free to do the right thing. Free to live life to the full in the way that God intended. And that's what adoption represents. So do you have that sense of freedom? Is your Christianity a joy? Or is it an obligation? Because if it's the latter... If you're here because either someone has told you to be here or because you don't want to disappoint somebody who wants you to be here or because somehow you think you better come because God expects it of you, if that's why you're here, then you've probably never understood what being a Christian is really all about. Many of you know that in my job, I write a lot of computer code. A sermon illustration about writing computer code might not be the wisest thing I've ever done, but bear with me. A few weeks ago, I was writing some code, and it didn't work properly. That's, that's not unusual. I thought I'd done everything right, but this new code I'd written just had no effect. It hadn't brought about the change in the program that it was supposed to do. I'd written all this code, and it was having no impact, no change. Well, I scratched my head for a little while. I looked at it. It all looked just right to me, just as it should do. But I couldn't figure it out. Well, in the end, I went to the error logs. Computers keep logs of the errors. Sometimes it's not very nice to look at them if you're a coder, because it tells you all the things that aren't quite right. But I looked at the error log, and the error log said this, it said, you're doing it wrong. 
Usually you get syntax error or something, don't you? But this time I got, you're doing it wrong. And it actually told me what I should have done instead. Because the mistake I'd made was such a common one that instead of just saying syntax error or whatever, I got a, an error message that I could put into practice and, and put right. But you see, because I was doing it wrong, the changes that I'd made had no impact on the program that was running. And it can be the same for many people who instead of writing code, are looking into Christianity. They're, they're attracted to Christianity. Maybe they want their life to change. Just I was writing code to change the program. You're, you're, you're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're saying your prayers because you want your life to change and you know it needs to change perhaps. You, you see the peace and joy that other Christians have and you want some of that. But then you try and put it into practice. And you do all the things that everyone else is doing, it seems, but nothing changes. Just like my code. Nothing changed. Well, there's not an error log exactly that you can go to. But you can open the Bible to see what you're doing wrong. And that's what we've been doing this morning in part. And the error message, if I can put it like that, if, if your life is one where you're doing all the right things, but your life isn't changed, then the message from the Scriptures is, I'm afraid you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because if you're implementing Christianity as a set of rules, I need to go to church. I must read my Bible. I must say my prayers. If you're following Christianity as a set of rules, you're doing it wrong. And because you're doing it wrong, then none of the changes that you're making will have any real impact on your life. And there'll be no deep or lasting change. Why is that? Well, as we've said, Christianity is not about rules and regulations. The relationship that God wants to have with you is not one of rules and regulations but it's about family. The relationship that God wants to have with you is for adoption as sons. You see, Christianity frees you from the tyranny of self because you're not trying to please yourself anymore. That's impossible. But it changes us so that our desire becomes now, instead of trying to please self, we now try and please God. Do you know that's the most liberating thing of all? Because when we try and please God, we do things God's way. And believe it or not, God's way is better than your way. And better than my way. So when Christ changes our heart so that we want to do things God's way, guess what? It becomes better for us too. Christianity frees us from trying to please ourselves. But Christianity also frees us from feeling obliged. To follow God's rules. Because what Christianity teaches us is that we can't keep God's law. We can't do it. And you see, if we keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to do something that ultimately we will always fail with, how's that going to leave you? It's going to leave you depressed and guilty and ashamed and lost and hopeless. But that's what so many people do. If only I can sort out my life, if only I can do this or do that, then 
maybe God will accept me. Then maybe people will accept me. Then maybe I can go to heaven. And the message from the scriptures is you can't do it. But the message too is that Christ has done it. He's done it. And because he's done it, because he's kept that obligation, it frees us from that obligation. If you had a debt and you were saving up desperately in order to pay off the debt and you saved all that you could every single week but the interest was more than you could save up and the debt was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a bit like that if we're trying to pay off the debt that we owe to God through good works. However many good works we do, we, we can't do enough. And then someone comes along and says, I'll pay the debt. And they hand over the money to the debt company or the bank or whoever it is. Well, what do you do? You stop paying the bank. You don't need to do that anymore. Your obligation has gone. Why? Because the price has been paid. The obligation has been met. And that's what Christ has done in redeeming, paying back. You don't need to pay the debt of sin. You don't need to pay the, the debt of guilt. You don't need to pay the debt of shame. You can't pay those debts. You need to trust in Christ because he is the only one who can and has paid that debt. And as you trust in him, you'll be freed then from your debt, freed from the obligation to pay back that debt and free to live the life that God has made you for and is calling you to, a life of freedom as a child of God.